Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. It is day 31 of OSR October, also known as Halloween. So, happy Halloween to all those out there. Make sure you get your trick-or-treating done and come back with lots of candy. So, I started off this month with an episode about what is the OSR to me? What do I think about the OSR? And having gone through the gauntlet (laughs) of thinking about, like really seriously thinking about and talking about the OSR for the last 30 days, I thought the last episode here of OSR October would be me talking about what do I think the OSR is now? Has my opinion changed? Where am I at? And so on. And I think the best way to do that, or at least the way I'm going to do it, is to talk about one more supplement. Of all the things that I have encountered in what I would consider the OSR, this is probably the thing that, at least currently, most affects the way I play. I would say when I first got into playing the OSR, I looked at the primer, I looked at all these different things about how you should play, I read the blogs, I looked at a lot of people's designs, I got excited about it, but I don't know that it really changed the way I played. When I picked up the Moldvay Basic book again, and I read through the examples of play, that's the way I've always played. I learned that way when I was a kid. I played that way when I play 5e. It's just how I play the game. I didn't really need a primer to tell me rules, not rulings, or no, the opposite of that, rulings, not rules, <laughs> you know, because that's just how we played when we were kids. So I didn't go through the phase of heavy rule systems. So I didn't need to be, <laughs> I guess, re, I didn't have to relearn, right? Because I didn't, I missed all that stuff. I started off in what would be the old school way, more or less. Although I wonder if people that played in the 70s would have thought us playing in the early 80s was still the same. Probably not, right? And then I went away and I came back and I just played the way I played. You know, I didn't watch actual plays of people playing more modern games and then get influenced by that. I just played the way I played. So <laughs> that's the way it is, I guess. Maybe they, maybe I've always been OSR. I don't know. But this thing, going around in circles here, is something I picked up a couple of years ago, and it has changed everything for me. <laughs> Such a strange thing to say. And it's funny because I haven't looked at it since I picked it up a couple of years ago, and it first kind of set off this ball rolling, and that is The Age of Conan by Jason Vey, not published by TSR Rules. <laughs> this is from 2009, and... This book talks about creating effectively the world of Conan for a D&D type game using original Dungeons and Dragons. But most importantly, it introduced me to using Chainmail with OD&D. And that has been my renaissance, (laughs) right? Or this is something that I, it changed fundamentally the way that I play. I had fallen slightly into the idea of the grimy OSR for a while. And I played a lot of those games where, oh, you know, we stop at third level. Everybody dies. You know, every session there's at least one character death. Ha ha ha. No balance. All this other stuff. And then, you know, after playing, running through several pre-made campaigns in the OSR style, it wasn't really fitting what I wanted. So I ran more house ruled stuff or not house ruled. I and more stuff that use the actual rules of homebrew, I guess you would call it, using the actual rules of BX. And I realized the game was different. I was already moving in that direction. And 
then I came upon this. And what I realized was, <laughs> at least for me, all these things that we add on to D&D to make things balanced, to make things work, to make them whatever, could easily be handled with chainmail. It's crazy to me how much of a difference it's made in my game. But <laughs> now I'm going sideways. Let me talk about the actual supplement because you might want to pick it up. I will put a link to it. So basically, he does a great job. Jason does a great job kind of breaking down what is OD&D and kind of rearranging and resorting it in a way to make it work, right? So for instance, he takes away the cleric and just has a sorcerer class. He combines all the spells into one list. He does have a thief, but he changes the skill tests to be 2d6 skill tests to work better with chainmail. He has races, but the races are the races of Conan's world. So not dwarves and elves, but Lumerians and the like. And they get slight bonuses to their attributes. He does use Greyhawk and a few other things, at least pieces from them. And he very clearly states at the beginning what he's using and what he's not, which I'd like. You know, he has like the, what do you need to play this game uh, section. Again, he's got his character classes. He uses the Thief from Greyhawk. He uses a Bard class that uh, he's got here. He's got uh, a Sorcerer class again, which is the Magic user. And he's got, uh, I believe he has a monk too, but you could, you know, you got to be certain cultures to be able to play a monk. And again, he combines all the spells into a single table. He does use, uh, like I say, Greyhawk, so he has spells all the way up to ninth level. I'm not so sure that I, and again, this is why I hacked at this thing. I, yeah, I'm not a big fan of, maybe I'll talk about that in another podcast. I feel like after the six level of spells, they start to get a little silly, but, and, but then he also goes in and he starts, uh, he goes through the list and he says, Okay, here's the monsters that I would, you know, include in a Conan world that are in OD&D and with changes, right? Uh, here here they are uh, from Greyhawk. Here's ones we would use, demons, devils. Here's, you know, from all the different supplements. Then he talks about magical treasure and how you can use magical treasure, but how it should be limited. He talks about, uh, you know, wilderness. So effectively what he does is he goes through all of OD&D and he cuts things out and adds things in to make it work for Conan. He also adds a, a skill system, you know, if you want to use that. Then from there, he's got uh, saves, and he uses a single save, actually, primarily, but then he uh, he does have a, a listing here if you want to use all the various saves and the modifiers that you'd have for them. Then he's got, which is very cool, a uh, an excerpt from the Hyborian Age by Robert Howard, and he's got a section in the back with some of the stuff from the original Gods, Demigods, and Heroes that has some of the religious stuff. So it's a pretty cool book. I will, again, put a link. You can pick it up. But again, I want to roll back to what is the OSR. And I think this book not only has fundamentally changed the way that I play the game, but I think this book is a perfect example of what I would consider OSR to me. It takes the concepts that are the role-playing game, D&D, really, and I'm not so sure that I would lock myself firmly into D&D as he uses chainmail. And some people would say chainmail is not D&D. <laughs> um, but taking a game and stripping it, stripping down what we don't want, adding what we do want, and reconfiguring it into a way that is still very clearly the same game to those who play, but that is different and is unique at your table. We've heard people talk about before the idea of when, you know, back in the day, they weren't playing D&D, &D, right? Gary was playing Greyhawk or Dave Arneson was playing 
Blackmore. Like that's how they would name what they were playing. And we've talked about naming campaigns and these kind of things. And to me, that actually is a huge part of what I see in the OSR or what I see as the OSR. You know, as I go through these various supplements, what we see are worlds that are being created using these various rule sets and these house rules and these modifications. Each of the creators that I've highlighted here has created an entirely different game on some level, but yet the same game. And I think that one of the reasons why I personally gravitate and many people gravitate, I would say, to the older systems for this is because the systems are so simple to start with. In fact, there's a great, I'm going to read from another OSR book, White Box from Matt Finch. Okay, this is from Swords and Wizardry White Box by Matthew J. Finch. Swords and Wizardry White Box is a fantasy role-playing game. The rules are extremely short compared to the multi-page rules libraries required to play most modern games. Yet the game contains within itself the soul of mythic fantasy and the kindling of wonder. The game is powerful because it's encapsulated by such a small formula, like a genie imprisoned in a small compass of an unremarkable lamp. This game serves as a good introduction for those learning how to play fantasy games. It is the ultimate tool for the expert referee who customizes his worlds with variant rules as it's always easier to add rules than to untangle them away. And to me, that perfectly encompasses what I see as the OSR. It is taking the, the seed that is D&D, distilling it down to the most basic seed and then regrowing it managing it, shifting it to create the game that you want to play. Effectively, every table playing their campaign is playing their own game. And to me, that's the heart of old school and the heart of, at least for me, OSR. So that's really what the OSR is to me. It is a loose, we'll say, I know people hate the word community, a loose grouping of people, a a recognized it's almost like an alignment language. <laughs> is the OSR chaotic or lawful? I guess you can decide that. It's a language that we all speak, even though we speak it with various dialects. We all understand what the OSR is, even if we can't fully define it. And while some people say because it can't be fully defined, it's useless, I find that to be incredibly untrue. To me, when you say OSR to me, I know what you mean. And if I sit down at your table and you only use eight-sided dice and you have completely different characters and you have lasers and people play lizard people, I still know how to play because I understand the heart of D&D. Hey, Daniel, just want to co comment on your last couple episodes on Warriors of the Red Planet and Operation White Box. So for the Warriors of the Red Planet, yeah, that you know, there's a whole series of interesting games by that company. And I don't know. I haven't really bought them and checked them out. I've seen them. I've heard other people talk about them. So maybe one of these days. But I, I just don't play that kind of thing that often, sadly. Um, but I do like the Sword and Planet genre very much. 
as far as gore goes. Yeah, gore is that is definitely uh, one of those games no, or one of those book series and influences nobody wants to admit. There is actually a, a, an adapted gore role-playing game out there. But, you know, gore was very influential to a lot of early games, including Dungeons & Dragons, and you can see it. When you look for it, you can see those influences. But, of course, nobody lists gore in Appendix N or talks about gore because they want to stay away from the, um, you know, S&M stuff. But, the, but gore actually was widely read and actually, the first couple books aren't that bad into that stuff. But when you get later in the series, the author definitely, you know, points out their their preferences or sexual proclivities kind of thing. Which, whatever. I mean, if you're into that, you're into that. You know, I'm not here to, to fetish shame anybody or kink shame anybody. Um, as far as Operation White Box, you know, that I that was the first game I ever played on Fantasy Grand back like in 2017, I think. And it's an interesting game, and it's fine. I, I'm not a big fan of using D&D to run other genres, to be honest. It can work, right? You look at, like, Mutant Future or Gamma World. You know, it works fine for that kind of thing. But effectively, you're doing D&D in, in those games, right? For most of those kind of games. Now, I am going to, next year at DaveCon, run Starships and Spacemen, which is... I'm not sure if I'm going to run the original version or the Labyrinth Lord compatible version, which is D basically it's Star Trek using BX, right, is the Labyrinth Lord version, which is really interesting. I might use the original version of the game for the con, though, just because it's kind of more novel to run the 1978 rules for a convention. Um, so we'll see. But And that kind of sort of works, but it's a straight military structure, kind of like Operation White Box, so maybe class and level makes... A, you know, kind of makes sense is you're going up in level, you're gaining in rank and experience and things, and you have classes because you have MOSs, you have specialties, right? But it's interesting because I was going to talk about Ghost Ops OSR on my show, and I got reading through the PDF by Feral Gamers Inc., and I'm sure it works for a lot of people, but it felt very video gamey to me, you know, all the opponents, all your oppositions, all the humans that you're going against are called tangos in there, and, you know, like an energy bar, you regain a hit point. And depending on the classes, how many weapons you can carry. And it strictly limits how much ammo you can carry, which doesn't make any sense because the amount of ammo they have you carrying is less than what I carried in the army. You, you know, so it it, 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 game, it tries to gamify something that I, I think is kind of hard to gamify, which is weird because I don't mind modern settings, you know, like Cyberpunk 2020 or... Or running other modern games doesn't bug me a bit. You know, Top Secret, although to me, Top Secret's 1980s, right? But, or even 70s, you know, spy stuff. But the, you know, I don't necessarily mind it, but something about Ghost Ops didn't quite work for me. It probably works for other people, and I'm not telling people not to buy the game by any means, but it just, it's one of those games kind of rubbed me the wrong way the way it did things, you know? And, and I just like other game systems for that modern itch. Or even like sci-fi or like superheroes. Like, you know, I, I think class and level systems work for some things and not others. But again, you know, I'm a Palladium fan. I like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness. And I like, you know, these different games that use class and level. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a hypocrite. But great job so far in OSR October. Keep up the great work. Talk to you soon. That was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, you know, I don't play nearly as much Sword and Planet either. <laughs> and... 
I really like that system, but I feel like what I might end up doing now as I'm looking at it again is I might pull some of those things out and add them to my OD&D game because I don't know that I have, I don't know, the concepts, at least I don't, to run a campaign in it. I feel like it's great for one shots. I love the idea of like exploring a thing, but I think long term, unless you're going to do some of the wider scale domain stuff, you lose the John Carter thing, right? Because John Carter is sure there's all this stuff going on, but a lot of it is big wars and stuff, right? So um, anyways, uh, which maybe maybe I should combine it with uh, Warriors of Mars and uh, with the old TSR game. But to Operation White Box, you know, I agree with you on some level, right? Using D&D for some types of games doesn't really work. I think the reason why we really liked Operation White Box was because we were already playing a lot of White Box, <laughs> as it works out, and we were doing like White Box Gothic, White Box this. So the whole group knew the game system really well. So I think that just helps, right? And I do think that can be nice, especially if you're going to try something that's a one shot here and there. And I will say that we only ever ran one shot, so I never really encountered the level thing. And I think that you might be right. It might not be a sure fit, right? Because what does that mean? Unless you're looking at levels, which means you're getting better hit points, or whatever, as plot armor, kind of like how I look at it in uh, my chainmail hack. But yeah, the levels are always weird. So what I've always done with Operation White Box is I've decided on a level that the assignment would be, the, the strike would be, you know, you're sending your special forces unit in, this is a level three adventure. So you're making level three characters and they're going to do this level three adventure. And then at the end, that's basically, that's their story, right? They they raid the the camp, they stop the the bridge from being blown up or they blow up the bridge, whatever it might be. And then you move on, almost like movies, right? I, I think of them almost like, like movies. I don't know that I'd want to run a campaign where we start with like level one and then they get more and more progressively better at... at uh, their job, although I guess that does happen in life, so you could look at it that way. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I just haven't really thought of it like that. I almost look at the class and levels as a way to, in these games, as a way to structure how dangerous or how high level the mission is, if you will. So these are like, if you're level one, then we start off with, you know, these are relatively new soldiers. They're on their first or second or maybe third mission out there. So they're a little bit green, right? When you're using level four and five characters, now you're looking at people who have been in the field. They've been, you know, away from home for a couple of years, maybe in the in the field, you know, in the trenches, however you want to say it. And these soldiers might be different, right? This week, you're like Sergeant Rock, right? Which, oh, Sergeant Rock's such a great comic. So you, you know, you got your Sergeant Rock. He's like your fifth level character. He's been out there and he's done it all. And then you've got these new uh, people coming in and, you know, whatever rank they might be, you might be, a corporal or something, but you might have not actually been in any combat to this point. Maybe you've been, you know, further back in administration or, you know, on a front where there wasn't a lot of, uh, a lot of actual, uh, you know, contact with enemy. And now you've been moved into the special forces unit and you're dropped into this area where you are, uh, you're green, right? And that would be a first level character. So that's how I interpret it. And it's all, anything is, anything we do is just justifying what we want to play, right? But, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's come down to things we've talked about before, this idea of progression, right? I think you may have been on the side of you don't necessarily care if a character progresses. I can't remember. I don't want to put words in your mouth in the uh, Audio Dungeon conversation. I feel like I'm firmly on the other side. Like, I feel like I play games for progression, so I wouldn't want to play a character through a whole campaign that never gained anything. So I think the levels just give you that, right? Whether or not, uh, you know, 
that works for everybody. It's kind of hard to say. I don't, uh, you know, tw- I know you were playing Twilight 2000 with Carl. I don't know if that game's still going on. That seems like a really cool way to do a more like war type uh, campaign. And I'd be curious what you think of that. Um, it, like if you've not, not the actual game you're playing, but how you think that system worked out, which I know is much more robust and uh, is not a class and level system as it would turn out. In any case, this is the end of OSR October. So if you made it all the way to the end here, you're going to get the announcements. Hey, I want to thank Rob from Down in a Heap and Taylor from Cleric Rare Ringmail and, and Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast when they started bouncing this idea around of OSR October. I thought, oh, that's pretty, pretty neat. Maybe I'll kind of contribute a little bit. And I decided to make it a task to do an episode every day, which I succeeded. There were a couple times where I did two episodes in one day and, you know, then just released it the next day because of work. But I wanted to produce something every single day. And I didn't want to sit down and do a week's worth or whatever all at once because I really wanted to evaluate, think about, really put forth in front of me, like in front of me on the table, what is OSR? What is the game we are playing? You know, D&D is, has become such a big part of my life. So this month was really great for that. And also it's reinvigorated me. I've decided that, I think I mentioned this already, that I'm going to base my seasons around this. So this is the end of season two of uh, of the Bandits Keep podcast. I'm going to start season three. And with the next episode, I am going to try to do an episode a week in the future. I want to get the podcast steady again. I'm going to change it up a little bit for season three and just talk about things that are developments that I'm doing. And they won't just be about the Chainmail uh, game because I don't think I have enough stuff to post every single week or talk about every single week about that because it's not changing much because I'm mostly in playtesting. So we're going to talk about all kinds of different subjects here, but, you know, primarily OSR, if you will. If you'd like to hear your voice on the show, you could leave me a message uh, several different ways. You could just follow the link in the show notes there. That'll lead you to the anchor page where you can send the message that way. But what most people seem to be doing (laughs) is using my Discord server. So I recommend that as well. You can join the Discord server, link in the show notes and find me there and send me a private message and I will play it on the show. Also in the show notes is a link to my Patreon. If you'd like to support me in that way, keep me in OSR books and uh, coffee. <laughs> I appreciate it. So with that, I will end the season and I will say thank you for listening and I will talk to you soon. <laughs>